All right, well, let's open our Bibles to 1 John chapter 4 this morning, 1 John 4, as we continue in this wonderful letter, and we come to such an appropriate passage this morning that calls our attention to the greatness of God's love for us displayed in the sending of his Son. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. There are many sayings that attempt to capture the real meaning of Christmas, such as, Christmas isn't just a day, it's a frame of mind. Love the giver more than the gift. It's Christmas in the heart that puts Christmas in the air. Christmas is a stocking stuffed with sugary goodness. Christmas isn't a season, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And Christians have tried to encapsulate the biblical meaning of Christmas as well in statements like, keep Christ in Christmas, and Jesus is the reason for the season. But today's passage would say it another way, complementary to those last two ways, and that is that Christmas is about love. It is about love, that is, God's love. Christmas is about God's love demonstrated toward us. Christmas really is a celebration of the love of God towards sinners like you and me. It is the love of God in Christ that changes our stone-cold hearts and makes us tender and caring toward one another. That's the big idea that we see here in the passage this morning, that God commands God's command to love one another grows out of his love for us. So God is commanding us to do that which he has already demonstrated. God's command to love one another grows out of his love for us. And repeatedly, John has been commanding us to love one another. Look backwards uh, just a little bit to chapter 3 and verse 11. You may remember when we were there. But John says it this way, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, 
Look at this. By this we know love. This is how we know what love is. That he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So clearly, God's command to love one another grows out of his love for us. Let's look at chapter 4 and verses 7 through 12, and I want you to notice three truths this morning that help us to grow in love. To grow in love, you must act on three truths. Number one, God's love proceeds from his nature. Look at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another for, this is the reason, because love is from God. Love is from God. Love, first and foremost, comes from God. It's part of who he is. It goes on to say in verse 8, God is love. So love is part of God's nature. Now, love is not all that God is, but all that God is and does flows out of love. That's a really important understanding for us. Love is not all that God is. He is more than love, but everything he does and says flows from his love. Love has always existed because God has always existed. Love originates in the relationships within the Trinity. The love of the Father for the Son, the love of the Son for the Spirit, the love of the Spirit for the Father and the Son, and you get it. In the eternal relationships of the Trinity, there has always been love. God is love. Love originates in these eternal relationships. And so when John says God is love, he means that love is part of his nature. Love finds expression in everything that God says and does. This includes even the hard things that come into our lives. You know, Christmas is, as the song says, the most wonderful time of the year. I think we would all agree with that. And yet, we also understand, because we live in a world filled with sin, that it's also a time of year that's mixed, where joy and sadness are mixed together. Every one of us can think right now of people in our lives who are no longer in our lives, people who have impacted us, whom we have loved. For all of us, there's an empty chair somewhere in our house. There's an empty chair around some table. And yet because of Christ, there is this joy that is indescribable. There is this light that has broken into darkness. There is this hope that we as believers have in Christ. We have this hope. And so even mingled with all the pain and suffering that we experience in this life. Because God is love, there is always for us the assurance that God is up to something good. In fact, Romans 8.28 assures us 
of that, that in any and every circumstance, God is working out of love for our good. Such a comforting truth. In his classic work, Knowing God, theologian J.I. Packer expresses it this way, every single thing that happens to us expresses God's love to us and comes to us for furthering of God's purposes for us. Even when we cannot see the why and the wherefore of God's dealings, we know that there is love in and behind them, and so we can rejoice always, even when, humanly speaking, things are going wrong. No matter what pain and suffering has come into your life, know this, that it proceeds from a God whose very nature is love. And he wants what is best for you and for me. It's hard for us to understand that, right? Because sometimes our eyes only focus in on that which is painful. But we must turn our eyes upon Jesus and see the love of God shown in an amazing way. And so as Christians... We can rest in this comforting truth that God is love. It is part of who he is. And since the loving God is for us in Christ, then nothing can ultimately be against us. What an incredible truth. There's a second truth you need to think about, and that is that God's love proves itself by his perfect gift. So John goes on to say in verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest or displayed or put on display for all to see. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So the love of God was ultimately demonstrated or proven in his sending his son into the world to be our savior. Isn't that exactly what John says? That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God sent his son into the world to conquer the problem of sin, to conquer the problem of death, that we might live, that we may have an abundant life here on earth, but also that we would, most importantly of all, have eternal life with him, God with us. See, the son of God became Emmanuel, God with us, so that we then be with God. See how it works? This is the simple but most profound and beautiful message of Scripture. This echoes the Gospel of John, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God sent his only Son, John says, so that we might live through him. That we may live. That we may not be trapped in the prison of death caused by sin 
but that we may be freed because of Christ. J.I. Packer again says, God's love is an exercise of his goodness toward individual sinners, whereby having identified himself with their welfare, he has given his son to be their savior and now brings them to know and enjoy him in a covenant relationship. This is the grace of God. God so loved the world that he sent the one and only remedy to the problem that we caused. He solved our problem. Aren't you glad that God didn't say, well, you made a mess of, of things. You've got to clean it up yourself. That's really what every man-made religion is about. Us trying to clean up the mess we created through our sin. And God says, you don't understand. You don't need religion. What you need is a relationship with me through Christ because I already sent the one who cleaned up all your mess. Isn't that wonderful? God is in the business of saving messy people and cleaning up messy lives. He doesn't say, clean up your act and then I'll accept you. He says, come to me in repentant faith. I will accept you and then I will clean up your life. Then I'll change you. Then I'll make you like my beautiful son. Look at verse 10. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a big word that means satisfaction of a payment. That Jesus on the cross satisfied our sin debt. And so when he shouted from the cross, it is finished, he meant that the sin debt is fully paid and now sinners like you and me, we can come to God and be accepted by him. Notice that God is the initiator of this. God is always the initiator of reconciliation of relationship. He doesn't sit around waiting for us to change. Instead, his love moves toward us. Isn't that exactly what verse 10 says? Not that we have loved God... In other words, not that we made ourselves lovely and lovable and God saw how we were trying to love him and he said, oh, that's what moves me. No, it is our pitiful condition and hopelessness that moved the love of God to say, I will rescue them. Because if given 10 trillion lifetimes, they couldn't even start to rescue themselves. But I will rescue them. God doesn't sit around waiting for us to change. Instead, his love moves toward us. And then when we bow before him and we receive this gift of his son and the eternal life that comes to us through Christ, he then moves in our lives and changes us. Romans 5.8 encapsulates it this way. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that amazing? Every man-made religion on the, on the earth says, clean up your act and then God might listen to you. And the Bible says, you can never clean up your act. God has already moved toward you in Jesus Christ. Now come to Christ and accept, receive, 
believe and trust yourself fully to him who was sent to save you. Later in the same letter written to Christians, the apostle writes these words, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a promise. Nothing that threatens our peace can separate us from the Prince of Peace. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so if you ever doubt that God loves you and has your best interest in mind, then the thing to do is look to the cross. Look to the greatest demonstration of the love of God. Look at how Jesus stretched out his arms and took, out, took the punishment for our sins so that he could then welcome us into the very family of God to experience the love of God forever. And when we experience the love of God in Christ, John says, then we have a new motivation for living for God. We have a new motivation to love God. Paul says it this way in Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me loved me and gave himself for me. But we can also say he continues to love us. Because the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus right now lives to intercede for us. You know, I think somewhere deep in, in all of us, in our flesh, is this tendency that we have to try to prove something to God. To prove that that we are acceptable to prove that we love him. But God has already done all of the proving that there is. He's already proven his love for us. He's given his perfect gift, the spotless lamb of God who takes away our sins. There's a third truth I want you to see, and that is that God's love perfects itself in our obedience. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If there could actually be translated since also. Beloved, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Again, God's command to us to love one another grows out of his love for us. No one has ever seen God, verse 12. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So God's love abides in us. Well, how does it abide in us? By the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, 5 says God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so that love, as the Spirit of God changes us, from being utterly selfish, self-centered human beings to being people who give ourselves to one another, for one another. That is the work of the Spirit. And our love then, John's point here, is that our love for one another now then makes the invisible God visible. No one has seen God, but God's love abides in us. And as we love one another, the world sees 
that God is love. Isn't that exactly what Jesus says in John 13, 35? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have, what? Love for one another. That's how we make the invisible God visible. And so we really can say that Christmas is about love. It's about the love of God. And when we reflect upon that overwhelming love of God that moved him to send his son to be our savior, to die in our place, it changes the way that we then relate to one another. It transforms first our relationship with God, our vertical relationship, and then it begins to infiltrate every one of our horizontal relationships and change the way that we relate to one another. By believing that Jesus Christ died for our sins and was raised on the third day, God accepts us and we are placed into a relationship with him. In the words of a really old hymn, love came down at Christmas. Love came down at Christmas. So, friend, I don't know where you're at with the Lord this morning. God knows your heart. I don't. But may I just stress to you again that the loving God has proven his love for sinners like you and me. The Father sent the Son who loved us to the end, all the way to that bitter death. And the Holy Spirit loves us and applies the love of God to our hearts through the gospel. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, today would be the best day of all for you to come to Jesus and to receive the gift of eternal life that God promises to those who are sinners but recognize that they cannot save themselves and come to him and say, God, I need the rescuer, the one and only rescuer, Jesus Christ, to save me from my sins. Father, we thank you for the promise of the Redeemer. The greatest promise in your word is that you would move toward us as sinners, not run away from us like we do to you, but move toward us to reconcile a relationship that we had broken through our sin. But God, your overwhelming love for us should just leave us in awe and humble us before you. And Father, I pray that if any of us here this morning have not trusted in the Lord Jesus, oh, Holy Spirit, would you just open hearts to receive this simple message, to believe the gospel, the promise of new life to those who come to Christ. And I pray that all of us, Lord, would look to Christ today and to remember the love that you have shown us through him. We pray in his precious name. Amen.